How's everybody doing this morning? Are you guys excited to be back in the park? I am. Uh, well, I got to tell you, last week was supposed to be our first week. And if you're not familiar with me, if this is your first time, my name is Jason. I'm the interim lead pastor here at Zion. And it is such a privilege to be here. We were supposed to be out last week, and then Iowa happened, uh, which is rain. And I loved when it said, because it started off on Monday, Tuesday, and said rain. Then it said clear. And then on Saturday, it rained, and it rained right at 10 a.m. first thing in the morning. So I am stoked to be here. How many of you have had donuts yet this morning? I don't know if you guys know this, but the donuts are low fat. They are. The fat all goes lower. Uh, and they're also fat-free. You eat it, and the fat goes on free. It's, it's a whole thing. Uh, and so if you don't have to feel guilty, I talk to numerous people like, oh, I'm on a diet. No, they're diet donuts. That's why they have holes. <laughs> uh, it is so great to be with you. Um, last week, we had rain here, but I want to tell you something awesome happened at the dock last week. And while it was raining outside, the Spirit of God was moving inside the church. Amen? And we saw a lot of new faces and a lot of new people, and we're really excited about what God is doing here at Zion. Now, I want to tell you that whether or not you call Zion home or not, we're so glad you're here. We're glad that you've chosen to join us on a Sunday morning. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you only come at the park. Regardless of why you are here, we are glad you are. I believe that there are some things that God wants to see happen this summer while we're at the park. And the reason why I believe them is I want you to hear this. As a father of two children, I want my children to succeed. I want my children to have a life that is thriving and exciting. And we have a heavenly father who wants the same for us. And so here's part of what I'm praying that God will do here at the park this summer. One, I want to see people come to Jesus. Amen? How many of you want to see lives change for Jesus? We can clap for that because it's the work of the Holy Spirit doing that. We also, we want to see lives changed. We want to see people set free from addiction. Physical healings taking place in the church. And yes, I believe God can do that. I also, I want to see marriages restored. I want to see, and I know this is what God wants to see, God wants to see new dreams and vision for your life because that is the heart of a father. God wants to see revival in Clear Lake, Iowa. And if you're not familiar with that word, here's what revival means. Revival is God bringing dead things back to life. And we have a God who brings dead things to life. Amen? And that's part of what we're praying for. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to release something new in our church, in our community. We want to see the church, marriages, children, our youth, our businesses come alive for God's kingdom and glory. And so you're here today. Maybe you're here because you smelled the donuts. Maybe you're here because this is what you do. But I'm here believing that God wants to do something amazing. Amen? So if, as we're looking at this, here's some things that we're going to be talking about. We're, we've been doing uh, a new summer series called God Is. Well, what we're doing is exploring the Lord's Prayer as a vehicle to see how God wants to move in us, but more importantly, revealing God's heart for us. And you have a God, a heavenly Father, who is crazy about you, who wants to see your life 
changed for him. Now, last week we took a look at this, and, and here's what we're finding, is that statistics are telling us that less and less people are coming to church, but more and more people are becoming spiritual. And about 60% of the population, whether they're Christian, Buddhist, agnostic, whatever they are, about 60% of the American population prays regularly. That means in this, here we are today at the park, six out of 10 of you pray regularly or offer some sort of prayer to God. There is a hunger and a thirst for the spiritual, and there's a reason for it. The Bible tells us that God put eternity in the human heart. That literally when God created us, he created us for a longing to connect with something bigger than us, something holier than us. And so we have people all throughout the world who are exploring different religions, different spiritualities. They're praying, trying to connect with what's been disconnected from God. Now here's the thing, Jesus taught us, it's not, that our, it's not our prayer that connects us to God, it's him who does. Jesus is the one who reconnects us to what was lost. Jesus is the one who brings us home. And so as we're looking at this, we're going to be talking about the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus. And Jesus is God, but God, Jesus worshiped God when he was on earth. And we gather here today for the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're not here just to be religious or to explore spirituality. We want to come to the God who longs to know us. And so if you're here and maybe you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're with us this morning. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe you walked away from church. Why, whatever reason you're here, I believe God wants to meet with you. Now, we are beginning this new series called God Is. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to cha uh, Matthew chapter 6. That's to the right. It's in the New Testament the first book of the Bible, of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, or if you have the Bible app, check it out. If you have the Zion app, we actually have on the bottom right-hand corner is, we have a Bible available for you online as well, Matthew, chapter 6, and I want to start off reading what we began last week and then coming into this week. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them because your father already knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus goes on to say this, and this is really our text for this morning. It's just a few key words. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. When I was younger, in my early days of Christianity, uh, people, my friends would take God's name in vain. And I always had some kind of witty remark 
whenever people would use the name of God, whether it be Jesus or God, in an inappropriate way. And I thought I was so witty. I would say things like, he parted it, he walked on it, but he never damned it. Like, that was one of the things I would say. And in the process of doing it, what I thought I was doing was standing up for God's glory. And here's what I realized about myself. The Lord's Prayer is spoken all over the world. Throughout, that's one of the beautiful things that happens throughout the church. Is that all these churches, regardless of denomination, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, people through all out the world of different nationalities, different languages, are praying the Lord's Prayer. And I can tell you how many times I've prayed God's Prayer and never meant one word that I said where I just did it purely out of ritual. I was saying it because that's what people were doing. And here's what the Lord kind of revealed to me. When I'm praying and not thinking about what I'm praying, when I'm just saying it because that's what we do, I'm taking God's name in vain. I actually don't mean what I'm saying. In fact, what I've done in that moment, I've turned what is meant to be beautiful into something that is just ritual. Now. Rituals aren't always bad. For instance, my wife Lisa and I, we try and regularly go on a date night. It's become a ritual. And the reason why we do it is we realize that if we don't make a regular space for it, we'll forget. And it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life. How many of you, by a show of hands, would agree that life can get a little busy? Right? And that's why we need rituals. Rituals are not always bad. Here's the thing. Rituals create routines. Routines create habits and habits create transformation. But not all habits and transformation is good. And in fact, what we find is, is when the ritual becomes the goal instead of the person or the relationship, that ritual becomes a rut. And this is so often what happens with us, and here's what we find, is the disciples, they ask Jesus in Luke chapter 11, Lord, how should we pray then? If we're not supposed to pray like the hypocrites, if we're not supposed to just babble, how do we pray? How do we connect with God? What do you want? How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody and it's clear they're not totally with you? You know what I'm talking about? You're talking and they're just saying things like, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh. And you could say things like, yeah, and like aliens came down and took over the planet, uh-huh, yep. We've all had those conversations. How many of you have ever been in conversation with somebody, or let me rephrase this, how many of you have met with somebody and they're great at the conversation but not so great at letting other people converse? You know what I'm talking about? They're great talkers, not necessarily great listeners. Sometimes we can approach God that way. Sometimes we don't slow down enough to listen to God. And I believe that part of the reason why God, why Jesus brought the Lord's Prayer is one, to teach us God's heart, but also to teach us how to listen. It becomes a guide, a map. Now, I got to tell you, I was not always taught, the, given the best models of prayer. Uh, if you ever grew up in the and I, churches still do this today, how many of you guys remember the prayer circle? You know what I'm talking about? When I was in youth group, we would stand and we'd all hold hands and we'd do the prayer circle and each person would go around and say, okay, each person's going to need what they need prayer for, say what they need prayer for, and the person next to them is then going to pray. And most of the time when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm counting how many people are in the circle, wondering how long the circle's going to take. Or when I was in high school or junior high, if there was a cute girl holding my hand, 
I was thinking more about the girl holding my hand than I was actually about connecting with Jesus. I'm probably, hopefully I'm not the only one who ever did that. Prayer circles for me, it taught me this kind of this awkward approach to prayer. As if I needed to have some incantation, some magical word to get God's attention instead of just knowing that God was already there. Or you had the spiritual, what I call them, the spiritual ninja warriors. These are the people that they brag about and they talk about how good their prayer life is. And I would have friends who would say things like, and pastors who would say, Jason, you can tell how holy a man is by the holes in his jeans and the calluses on his knees. And one of my pastors even said, you know, Jason, a, a godly man needs at least an hour a day of prayer. And then I'm like, then I'm pretty ungodly because I can't stay awake that long. Like, I love Jesus, but sitting and closing my eyes, I'm going to connect with Jesus through nap time. Like, that's a, a real thing. And here we are. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Because maybe our models have missed the point. And I'm not saying that there's one specific way to pray. But I think when we look at prayer as a way to connect with God himself, a prayer that, that allows us to hear God's heart, not just my own, I think that can change things. One of the things that's interesting is there are all kinds of different prayers in the Bible, but there's only one given to us directly from the mouth of God himself, and that's the Lord's Prayer. And so very briefly this morning, I want to talk about the first part of the Lord's Prayer, the, a few words, about four words in all, that changed everything for me. Uh, the guy who plays electric guitar here, his name's Tom Toole. Tom and I were talking one day, and he shared a parable with me. And I, I've actually really grown to appreciate this parable because what it's done is it's reframed not only leadership, but even prayer for me. And here's how it goes. So imagine you have a boss who has a bunch of employees and it tells his employees, hey, I want us all to be in Des Moines on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Now, a good boss doesn't sit down and say, okay, here's what you need to do. I want you to leave exactly at 1.10 and you need to take the 35, drive 35 all the way down and you need to go 55 or 65 miles per hour. That's not what a good boss does. A good boss simply says, hey, I want you to meet here. Here's a map. How do you want to get there? And the Lord's Prayer is kind of this way. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is not actually telling you that you have to pray every part of this prayer. This is why he says this then is how you should pray, not what you should pray. See, a how is here's the map, here's the guideline. It's an invitation to explore. It's an invitation to realize that Every part of the Lord's Prayer actually reveals God's love for you. It reveals God's character and heart. God, Jesus isn't saying this is the only thing you pray. He wants to give you a map to help you learn how to pray. Now, God is our ultimate destination in prayer as long as Jesus is the vehicle to get us there. Does that make sense? God is the ultimate destination in prayer, but Jesus is the only vehicle that gets us there. We don't get through prayer through our, how much we talk or how good our deeds are. We get to God through Christ. How many of you agree with that? Say amen. That is the desire. 
Now, there are all kinds of different ways to pray, but as long as they are through Jesus, that's what matters. But when you don't know what to pray, when you're not sure how to pray, we go to the map that Jesus gave us, which is the Lord's Prayer. My, uh, my wife tells me that I often look like a dad, and I don't mean I have a dad bod, though I totally do. I, I've taken my donut comment a little too much to heart. What she means by that is this. She'll say, hey, can you go grab me scissors out of the drawer, and I'll go, and I'll look like a dad, and I look, and if I don't see them in the first 30 seconds, they're obviously not there. And so I'll come back. I don't know what scissors you're talking about. I didn't see them anywhere. And my wife, like, no, they're in the drawer. And I'm like, I looked. Babe, I really looked hard. And she'll walk over, and boom, there's the scissors. Why? Well, the problem was I was looking through eyes, but I didn't have eyes to see. Does that make sense? I was looking, but I wasn't really looking. I was just kind of doing the dad look. Anybody, any other dads out there that look like that? I hope I'm not. Yeah, thank you, Ray. I see you, brother. You and I, we can commiserate later. Or maybe Danielle and Lisa can commiserate later. I don't know which. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus actually tells his disciples this. Check this out. There are some who don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. There are some who Jesus says things, but our eyes, we're not looking through Jesus' eyes. We're looking through human eyes. And the Lord's Prayer is one of these. And in fact, the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, I cannot tell you how many times I've said these words. And instead of piercing my heart, instead of reading me, I just said them. Our Father. I want you to think about these two words for a second. These two words, if you really listen to what Jesus is saying, have the potential to change everything. Our Father. Jesus uses that first word, and the pronoun matters. Notice he doesn't say my father or your father. He says our Father. Can everybody say that with me? Our Father. Our is relational. Jesus is reminding us that prayer is meant to be communal. We are a part of something bigger than us. We are not just individuals praying. We are called to be in relationship. There's this guy named Albert Moeller. He wrote this. The word our at first glance seems like an insignificant little pronoun. But Jesus is making a tremendously powerful theological point by beginning his prayer with the word our. Jesus is reminding us that when we enter into a relationship with God, we enter into a relationship with his people. We are saved by Christ, but we are saved into his body, the church. Prayer is meant to be corporate. Paul wrote in the, in the book of Romans chapter 12, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot personally connect with God. That's not the heart of what's going on here. Rather, what Jesus is telling us, he's reminding us, is that we are a part of something bigger than us. We are meant to be in relationship. As I look around and I see all these faces here at the park, 
regardless of your Lutheran, if you're Baptist, if you're non-denominational, whether you're American or Spanish, whatever you might be, if you are a child of God, if you love Jesus, you are a part of God's family. You are part of a holy community. But here's the problem. So much of how we teach identity, spiritual formation in the church is more about individual. And, and hear my heart when I say this. I'm not saying that we should not individually pray. But I want you to think about this for a, a minute. It's no wonder so many Christians believe faith is meant to be personal because that's everything we talk about, your personal relationship with Jesus. But the problem is we confuse personal with private. It's no wonder some Christians believe they don't need to be part of a church community because after all, faith is personal. It's no wonder some Christians feel so alone, discouraged, and disconnected because faith is personal. It's no wonder so many Christians only read the Bible to figure out how it relates to them instead of how it relates to us because the Bible is personal. Most of our language, our Bible studies, our spiritual formation practices focus more on individualism than it does on community. And Jesus brings us right back in and says, no, our, you are a part of something bigger than you. Our Father. Now, don't get me wrong. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus to be saved. You are not saved because of somebody else's faith. You must have faith in Jesus, but we are called to be a part of a community that belongs to Christ. Jesus was Jewish, and as a Jewish man, he grew up in a culture that, think, that thought more about the community than the individual. Instead of you, it was y'all. Any Texas people out there? What's up, y'all? Like, that's straight-up Jesus thinking. Y'all is a biblical word. We are called to community. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Did you notice those words? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Those are people. You and I are part of that, and that is called the church. But then Jesus moves it from beyond the word our to the word father. And father means family, not just familiar. Now, some of you know my story. Many of you don't if you're new here. I've never met my biological father. I didn't have a father growing up. For me, when I became a Christian, God became my daddy. I actually would pray and call him daddy. There was a father element, but here's the thing, and if you've been here the last several weeks, you've heard me say this. Jesus didn't come to make you more religious. He came to make us family. That's what a father is. A father has children, and in Christ, we become part of God's holy family. Listen again to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5. Check this out. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. How many of you guys are excited for baptism in the lake this summer? That's going to be awesome. I love it. We have 20, 30, 40, 50 people coming out and being baptized and becoming part of the family of Christ. 
And then Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You belong to the Father when you belong to Jesus. And I know this isn't very PC, but not everyone is God's children. We are all made in the image of God, but only those who are in Christ are made adopted sons and daughters of the King. And I don't know about you, but I want to see more people come into the family. That's my heart. That's God's heart. And if you are not, if you're not a Christian this morning, I hope you'll take seriously the invitation to become a part of the family through Jesus. Acts chapter 2, 38. Peter replied to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When you become part of the family, you get the Spirit of God. You get the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who lives inside of you, who empowers you for life. And Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 8, and this is very critical, check it out. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the most intimate word to describe a father. It's like calling Him Papa, Daddy. Through the Holy Spirit, we are able to cry out to God as Father. That's why we need the hour. When you belong to Christ, you beget the Holy Spirit, which joins us together as family. We are called to be a part of that. It's the Holy Spirit who sets us free from fear and shows us the Father's heart. We as a church community need the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Spirit of God moving within us, breathing in us, calling us, beckoning us, but more importantly, moving us to be the sons and daughters of the King that we are. Now, for some of you, this idea of God as Father might be really hard. Maybe you were raised in a religious house where God was King, He was God, He was Lord, but He was not Father. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, you can call God Father. Maybe you had a, a wounding from a father, an absent father, an abusive father. I want you to hear this. Jesus tells us about the heavenly father who is a good, good father. Who loves us. Who desires to bring the best in us and wants us to move towards him. No one gets saved because of their familiarity with God. Eternal life is promised to those who are in God's family and His family alone. It's the Holy Spirit who moves us from familiarity with God to becoming family with God and also family with all our brothers and sisters in Christ. I felt like there was a word that God gave me this week. I believe there's somebody in the park today who the, this word the Lord has given for you, and I want you to hear this, and please have your, I hope your heart is open 
but you need to be reminded that you are his son and daughter first, his servant second. Do not confuse your doing with being. Do not find your identity in what you do for God. Find your identity in being with God. And so if that's you, you don't need to talk to me afterwards, but I felt like somebody needed to hear that this morning. You are a part of a holy community, the church, God's people. You are part of a royal family, adopted sons and daughters of a king. And then Jesus reminds us of the last part. Our Father in heaven. See, our heavenly Father is not like our earthly Father. He is perfect in every way. And one of the best ways that we get a, a small taste of who our Father is is found in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not just praying, we're connecting. We're being reminded of a relationship with the Father who loves us. Listen to what Galatians 5, 22 through 23 is. You've probably heard this as the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is part of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who your heavenly Father is. Your Father is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But here's what I want you to hear. God is not just loving. God is love. God is not just joyful. God is joy. God is not just peaceful. God is peace. He is the source of these things. And so when we pray to him, we're reminded of his love for us. 1 John 4, 8, For whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. God loves you perfectly. When we pray, we pray with God's character, His love in mind. When we pray for joy and patience and self-control and all those things, we pray these things because this is a reflection of God, but more importantly, we need God in our lives to truly do those things. I want to go back very quickly to that illustration that my friend Tom gave me. See, the Lord's Prayer is a how-to guide, but it's not like an Ikea instruction booklet. You guys know what I'm talking about? I hate those things. I think they're torture devices designed by Swedish people. The Lord's Prayer is not a, you have to remember every single line. Instead, it becomes the guide to say, when I need, when I need to know that God has my back, I pray to the God who delivers me from evil. When I'm struggling to know that God provides I'm reminded of the God who gives me my daily bread. Why? Because he's a loving father first and foremost. Because he's a father who not only gives, he forgives, he serves, he protects, he loves us and he loves you. And the Lord's Prayer, when we begin to dig into it, helps us see God's heart. But more importantly, it reminds us that we are part of God's family because God is making us family. We are called to be something bigger. I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. Would you guys stand with me for a moment? We're going to end with this. I want to use a prayer that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus, and then we're going to prepare our hearts for communion and our offering time. This is actually Paul's word to the church in Ephesus, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. 
And I'm going to read these words, but I want to pray them over a blessing, as a blessing over you. For this reason, I kneel before our Father, from whom our family in heaven and on earth derives its name. My prayer is that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you and I with power through his Holy Spirit, and that he would strengthen you in your inner being, so that in Christ we may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray, my prayer for you is that you would be rooted and established in love. And above all else, that we may have the power together with the Lord's holy people as a family to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus Christ and to know this love, to know his love that surpasses all knowledge that you and I might be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Because we believe in a God who is able to do so much more than we can fathom, more than we can imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and in Zion and our time at the park and all God's people said, amen. Now, we're going to prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. And I want you to hear this. Whether you're Lutheran, whether you're Baptist, non-denominational, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in God, all are welcome to the table. And one of the things that most families practice is a family dinner. When we come to communion, we are actually coming to participate at the table of the Lord to do life together. All of you are welcome. And today, we have the privilege of having Bethany and Nelton Noriega, who are from Genesis Church in Peru, our daughter church. Can we just give a thank you for what God's doing there? Because they're part of our family, we're part of their family, we are family, I've asked them to lead our time in communion. So would we come and prepare our hearts? And I'm going to pass this off to them. <laughs> 